Welcome to Prickly and Blooming, hosted by Jesse Browning and brought to you by LaJoy Society. At age 35, Jesse theoretically adored her life. She was a mama to four children and owned multiple businesses with her husband. But without an ability to cope or care for herself, an isolating darkness crept in. Through reckless self-care, therapy, and lots of candor, Jessie found her joy again. She has created LaJoy Society to embolden others to do the same. Each week, we will meet a woman who has an authentic story to share. Undoubtedly, Jessie will be sharing her big heart, unusual life, and countless theories with you along the way. Now, here's Jessie. Hello, everyone, and welcome. It's Wednesday, and... I'm here in your ears again. Hello. And it's just going to be me again. Um, this is going to be another like PB and J episode or P and B and J or whatever. <laughs> I can't escape the PB and J though. I mean, it's obvious. And I love an obvious pun or acronym or whatever. So here we are. And I just want to stop for a second and say how grateful I am to all the women who've given me their time and their stories and how this project is unfolding, how I thought it would and could, and I'm so excited. And it's been so great to get to know some of these women, some, you know, most of them I didn't know, and make new friends and new connections and keep going from this. And so I want to, you know, say thank you directly to Amy and Callie and Bria and Teresa and Laura and Tracy and, and no more coming. Anyway, I'm just, I just want to take a moment and say like how much I appreciate their time and energy and stories and how helpful I know it's going to be for people to hear this stuff. What else do I need to cover? Like housekeeping. If y'all don't follow me on the social medias, um, you can find everything under LaJoy Society, which I'll keep spelling it obnoxiously as long as it takes. L-A-J-O-I-E Society. L-A-J-O-I-E S-O-C-I-E-T-Y. I have like a Twitter for this that has like no followers yet because I'm not really using it because I'm just not sure um, that I'm sold on Twitter. I have an OG like personal Twitter account like Jesse B <laughs> is my username on Twitter for like a personal account that I've had since I think 2007. But of course there's a Twitter for this show called LaJoy Society, which I should maybe get in there and start using. So if you're on Twitter, find me and make me use it. I definitely am on Instagram a lot and Facebook. Um, those are my two main platforms of communication on social media. I have a friend who tells me to make, or no, I, she had me make a TikTok account, but I just don't even know what to do with it. I think I opened it twice and I'm like, I don't know. My kid is on there and they blocked me right away. That was really great. My oldest was like, no, go away. <laughs> I think they unblocked me again, but whatever. You can email me, which is LaJoy Society, L-A-J-O-I-E Society, at uh, gmail.com. Anyway, just want to go over that at the top of the show. So this week, okay, we're going to be talking about a very obvious theme for this show and for this whole project for me, and that is joy. Um, so you probably know this, maybe you don't. So I got to go over it in case you don't. The name LaJoy Society and all of this is 
my maiden name. My maiden name is LaJoy. I was born Jessica Lynn LaJoy. My initials were J-L-L. And I did uh, change my name when I got married. That could be a topic we discuss some other time, but I wanted to be part of a tribe. I knew that we would have a big family, and I wanted us to all have a name. So that was definitely my deciding factor to change my name. I, and a friend of mine I worked with at the time was like, you know, you can never escape your maiden name. It's on every form. It's on every, like, like uh, when you're trying to verify, you know, every verification is your maiden name. And I was like, oh, that's such good advice. Yeah, your maiden name does stay with you. So anyway, La Joy. Um, it's French, obviously. It's La Joy de Vie, you know, the joy of life. Um, uh, I'm French-Canadian. Well, no, hold on. I have French-Canadian ancestry. I'm from New England, but I'm not from that far up. My family is, though. And so I, I, when I started this project, like when I started just doing some writings before I started podcasting, I it took me no time to figure out what the name would be. I knew easily the name would be LaJoy. I knew that that was a name that was so near and dear to me. It had the obvious meaning of joy. And the second obvious meaning is that the last few years of my life and the um, journey that I have been on, finding and feeling joy has been a huge part of that. And I want to talk about that today and the problems with joy that I have <laughs> and that you might have too. And in, in, in researching, you know, this, this week I realized, you know, how universal, not universal, but how um, common my experience is with joy. It's, it's a really difficult emotion for me to process, you know, um, I found a verification of that anywhere online that um, that will go into. And, you know, I'm not an expert writing a book about this. I'm not, you know, writing my research paper or whatever. I just know what I've been through and what I'm doing and what I learned in therapy and what I'm reading about. And, and I'm just going to, you know, tell you what I know. <laughs> and you, you let me know if it helps. Okay, before we get started again, I'm sick. <laughs> you can probably hear it in my voice. What a time to be sick, by the way. <laughs> like I told my dad this morning, not a time to be in public and be sick. I just have a kindergarten crud, head cold. My kindergartner had it last week. My husband had it and he got over it really quick because he always gets over things really quick. He doesn't, um, he has a really strong immune system. He barely gets sick. So when he does, it's really quick, but not me. Like I said, what a time to be sick. <laughs> so I've got the congestion, the, the typical kindergarten crud. So bear with me if I sound a little nasally this week. Here we go. <laughs> the definitions of joy and happiness. And I want to bring this up because I think these lines get crossed all the time or they get um, conflated with each other and the difference between happiness and joy. And this was the first thing I had to come to understand. Um, so I'm going to read off just the Merriam-Webster definitions. Okay. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Happiness. Happiness is a state of well-being and contentment, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Okay, here's another, like, I pulled off of. Happiness is a destination. Joy is an attitude. Okay, and that, I feel like, is the simplistic difference. And I, I don't think I understood that. You know, I really don't think I understood that, like, there's a, there's a, Happiness is a destination and um, 
joy seems like the journey, you know, and of course what's more sustainable and what, you know, maybe, maybe it's different for you, but what I want to aspire to is the joy. You know, that's the constant level of feeling of, you know, well-being and success and, and contentment. Like I really feel like contentment or something needs, you know, presentness needs to be in that uh, sentence. But um, here's another one. You can take joy with you anywhere. Happiness is a place you visit. I think that once, like, once you realize the difference, like it's, you can cultivate that joy. You know what I mean? Like you can't cultivate happiness. Like you can't like, I hope you're getting what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that you can cultivate, you know, your, your attitude and your journey and you can make it what you want. But happiness is kind of something you experience, right? Um, again, we'll go back to like the journey and the destination, the journey and the destination. And maybe you're into life for the destination, but I'm here for the journey. So let's talk about joy. Let's talk about joy. Okay. I'm going to start with this little tidbit of our life. So I have a child who is one of those children. She is Joy. Um, for many years, we actually called her Joy. That was her nickname after we watched the Inside Out movie um, about emotions. Have you seen the Inside Out movie? If you have not seen it, even if you don't have children, please go watch it. It's incredibly poignant story of emotions and joy and pain. You know, there, uh, there's little characters that represent all these emotions and joy and pain get, go on like an adventure. To, you know, they get lost together and they had to rely on each other to get back to like, you know, home and like just so much. And when anger takes over and when disgust takes over, like, oh my God, it was such a good movie. It's it, the classic like kids movie with so many adult themes that the kids just miss and the adults are so entertained by the main character of that movie is joy and she reminded us so much of our child that we started calling her joy it's her nickname and that went on for a little while and then i you know it's just so fascinating to see one of these people from the moment she was born till now she's seven years old almost eight years old she has embodied joy from the time she could express you know, like from the time, let's say she was a toddler, you know, is when it became obvious. She is magnetic. She pulls people in. Like it's not um, manipulation. It's she has this energy. It's, I, you know, a previous teacher was like any adult that comes in the room, they're just like pulled in by her. Like she, she's just that person. And it's, it's intrinsic in this child of mine. And this is like a perfect example. I will say, I don't know where this came from. Like, I don't think that I could create something like this. So that's a clue into something we'll talk about later about, you know, worthiness, worthy of joy. But another interesting part of this, this why I'm telling the story about this child is that I, I, I made a stop calling her joy as her nickname, actually, um, because I thought it was putting too much pressure on our other children who are not as naturally joyful and magnetic and, and all these, you know, personality traits. And I wanted to make room in our family for all the feelings. And I didn't want to just put joy on this pedestal because that's important to me. I don't want to participate in like a toxic positivity. If anybody saw the 
article I posted on the um, LaJoy Society Facebook page about that, how the um, good vibes only kind of mindset is really invalidating and difficult for people with mental health issues that that diminishes their experience and their feelings. And, you know, saying good vibes only, it's kind of like saying, you know, calm down to make somebody calm down. It's like saying good vibes only to make somebody be positive is not going to work, you know? So I don't want to, I didn't want to participate in that, especially in our family. I didn't want to only put this child, you know, on the pedestal and give her this nickname and continue on. So I kind of had rolled that back after a while. I just wanted to mention that because it's part of like, I'm, I'm just kind of quilting together this whole kind of joy experience that I've been thinking about and researching. And um, I'm saying researching quotes, you guys. I'm not like, you know, I've told you. Okay. So now that we've like talked about a definition and like, wow, what does this happen with my child? And I want to talk about like where it trips me up and like where like there's like two avenues that I just had to explore with my thoughts and readings and research and why I'm here at this episode because I think this will resonate with you as well. And there's two things. Joy like overwhelms me. I don't know how to process it. I don't tell you how that um, manifests in my life. So I have this thing that I do that I cry at everything. Like every fucking thing. <laughs> everything that's related to my children mostly um and I call it the Kleenex club like I, I I don't remember being a crier at all until I had Charlotte our oldest child I don't remember I don't I, I can't remember really feeling overwhelmed like watching movies or shows it just was not like I remember starting to cry often after having a child and being like oh this is new <laughs> and of course, because so much does change when you have a child and it kind of awakened me to a lot of this stuff and, and crying and joy and overwhelming feelings like that for sure happened when I became a mom. So like there's definitely those huggy commercials during the holiday times and, you know, but I cry at that. Sure. But that's like basic stuff. Okay. So here's a little list of things <laughs> that make me cry. I cried every marching band I hear. I cry at like meeting Santa Claus. I cry at award ceremonies. I get choked up visiting my friend, um, my kids' classrooms. Uh, you know, uh, those award ceremonies don't even, my kids don't even have to be getting awards and I get all emotional for the kids. My children that used to be in Montessori classrooms, this is a real specific example. Okay, so they, they have this birthday celebration in Montessori classrooms where it's like a rose ceremony and every child has an opportunity to say like birthday wishes and something they like about the birthday person. And the rose goes around the room to signify it's your turn to speak. So they're passing the rose around and these little, you know, five-year-olds are in, you know, the younger classrooms are up to eight-year-olds are in the older classrooms. And then, you know, so it's all ages, it's not just little ones, but the little ones even do this. These kids are saying like, you're my best friend and I really like you and you're so nice. Like it's all this like positive reinforcement on their birthday. And then they say like, happy birthday. And I really like when you play with me on recess. And like, look, I can get emotional just talking about it. It just guts me. Like, oh, little six-year-olds telling other six-year-olds, like, I really like when you play with me at recess. Give me a Kleenex. Like, oh my God, like, I know it's so sweet. Isn't it so great that you guys find in the playground? Okay, so after this whole process that goes around the room with all the children speaking about the birthday person, 
it's time for the parents, if the parents have come and they can participate in this ceremony, it's time for the parents to speak about their child. And I don't think I made it two sentences, three sentences for any birthday celebration for any of my children without dissolving into full on snot tears. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what kind of heart you would have to not cry in these moments. <laughs> um, one year, because I, I'd been so frustrated at my inability to actually like say anything because I want to tell my children, you know, how much I adore them and love them and how happy I am. It's their birthday and uh, all this. But then like the moment comes, comes up and I'm just like, I love you. I can't talk. I'm crying so much. So one year I typed up my... <laughs> I typed up my speech or whatever you want to call it. I typed up my little story to say at the birthday celebration. And I was sobbing so much by the end of it, I barely could read it. And then that whole room, it was like a cascade of emotions for other kids, by the way, because like a mom crying turned into all these other kids crying. Like these other girls in the classroom were crying because they're like, look at that mom. She loves her so much. Anyway, so it's like big moments like that, but it's also like, oh, this is a good one. I remember visiting, you know, the classroom. I don't know if it was this year or last year. And somebody said, you know, are you Mabel's mom? And I'm like, yeah, sure am. <laughs> Isn't she great? And you're great. <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. My threshold, you know, these are not bad moments. These are happy, joyful moments. And I have no tolerance for it. Immediately overwhelmed with emotion and tears. Like, it's bananas. Is this, y'all? <laughs> do you do this too? I asked on my social media accounts if, you know, what this is, what the experience was for anybody else and what they felt like foreboding joy. And we'll get a little more into that in a sentence, in a, in a second. I posted a video and ask people to watch the video and tell me what they thought. So I want to tell you what they thought first, and then we're going to talk a little bit about where I got this foreboding joy idea and what it means. So those are mine. Like They're really heavily kid-focused. I was trying to come up with other ones, but that's the general gist of what this means to me. Here's the other replies I got. I got to say, I always cry at parades and watch marching when watching marching bands. I was in band, but only in junior high my freshman year in high school. I think they remind me of home and the big parades we would have. I marched in the parade when I was a freshman, but it wasn't a huge deal to me. I don't think it really clicked until I moved away from home but visited my hometown for homecoming. I remembered when I watched the parade, it was like my soul cried and I longed for something I didn't realize I was missing. And I guess I found whatever it was in the parade. Don't know if it was because I missed my home so much of the time or I realized so much of my entire life had changed up to that moment. But now every time I see a parade, I can't help but smile. I find so much happiness in it. And when I hear the band, I can't help but cry. And I cry. Tears will stream down my face. My nose starts to run. I have to hold in my sloppy cry, but the cry itself is, is it pure? But the cry itself, it is pure joy. That person, her and I are on the sidewalk pulling out Kleenex being like, I love the tuba. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I'm marching bands. Is this is this something that bothers <laughs> y'all? <laughs> I I want to hear. Let me know. Okay, 
So the next quote I have, and of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a definition because I, I love that this friend made me Google a word she used because she's a writer. I was like, what is that? I have niggling thoughts in the moments of pure joy. Okay, we're gonna stop right there. Niggling causes causing slight but persistent annoyance, discomfort, or anxiety. What if all the things? So that's the end of the definition. Now we're getting back to her comments. What if all the things that we have hap- that have happened to me weren't the worst things that will happen to me? It's crushing. When you've lived the loss I've experienced, you're always waiting for the shoe to drop, for the other shoe to drop. And how many damn shoes are there? She asks. Whew. So there's like a little hint of the joy and pain equation that a lot of us are tricked into thinking that we pay for our joy with our pain or vice versa. Okay, here's another. I'm not proud to say I do this. I do this daily and may even cry about what might happen. I just figured I'm emotionally high strung. I never knew there's more to it. I'm tired of freaking dress rehearsing about what could happen. It can be emotionally draining for me. So that's a little hint about, I'm going to talk about the video that I posted for people to react to. So that last comment gave me, uh, or gave an idea that the time of dress rehearsing about what could happen. So I want to dive into that for a second and tell you what that commenter was talking about. I found a like five minute video of Super Soul Sunday from like seven years ago between Oprah and Brene Brown. And Brene Brown is talking about this topic, which I'm then adopted as the topic for me to talk about today. And that is foreboding joy. And she gives a description of like, you know, you're a parent and your child is sleeping and you lean over them and you watch them sleeping in their bed and you're just overcome with how wonderful it is and how much you love them. And then what do you do? You flash on what would happen if you flash on the bad stuff, you flash on an accident, you flash on, you know, loss. And so she goes on to explain that in those moments when we are experiencing joy and we flip that switch to fear, which she calls it dress rehearsing tragedy. Okay, so here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into her little quotes here. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. We think, I'm not going to soften into this feeling of joy. We try to beat vulnerability to the punch by dress rehearsing tragedy. In these moments that we get that shudder and we want to dress rehearse tragedy, the way that we can change and rewire our experience is to feel that terror, but don't do the dress rehearsing tragedy. We've got to lean into gratitude. I know. Okay, so that's what she says. And then she also says this. I have never interviewed a single person who talks about the capacity to really experience and soften into joy who does not actively practice gratitude. I think we can all identify, you know, even if you're not a parent, let's say you look at your dog, you know, and or your parents or something, if it's not a child. You are experiencing all the joy to know and love that person and be with that person in this world and we flip a switch and turn into the worst case scenario. And what Brene is saying is that people who practice and really sit in gratitude, it's not that they don't experience that moments of terror and then we want to turn to fear and go to what the worst could happen. It's they do, but in that moment, they turn to gratitude and say, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this child. I'm so thankful to be here with them. I'm so thankful for our house. I'm so thankful, you know, to keep 
the dress rehearsal at bay. <laughs> if you watch that video, there's obviously more to that video. It's about five minutes long between Oprah and Brene. I think you'll find it so, it really helped me understand of why it's so hard for me to process this joy of, of late in my life. Going from there, Brene is talking about the gratitude practice. And it's not an attitude of gratitude, but a practice. And as I was thinking about this episode and what I would talk about, I was in my car and my husband was driving. We were on a road trip last week. And an episode of Terrible Thanks for Asking came up with this um, a gentleman named Neil Pasricha. He started a, a blog in 2008 after his wife left him and his friend died by suicide. And he felt so down that he had this wherewithal to know that he needed to focus on something positive and life affirming to try to trick his brain. And he just knew. I, I love, I'm, I didn't really get enough information of like how he knew. I think he just decided he was going to come up with this list of a thousand awesome things. So every, he started at a thousand and started counting down. And this was like blogging in 2008. <laughs> so it's a whole different world. There wasn't social media. He said he was featured on this episode, um, um, on this website called fark.com, which I totally remember. I used to read it all the time. I don't even know if it's still a thing. I should look that up right now. So fark.com highlighted his blog about a thousand awesome things and it went viral and he, you know, it blew up. And Neil has become like a happiness guru. <laughs> and he's written five books and there's a couple journals and, you know, there's videos on YouTube and he does speaking engagements, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And it all started that in his darkest hour, he started writing one thing a day that was awesome. And it's the simple things. And the, why I bring it up is because it, that is the gratitude practice that we should engage in. It's not like, I'm thankful for my health or I'm grateful for love. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm grateful for my children. Like, sure, yes. But every gratitude practitioner that I've listened to and, you know, gleam experience from, they all talk about the the gratitude needs to be done in minuscule ways, like in tiny ways of like, I'm really grateful for this latte this morning on a cold day. I'm really grateful for the way that the sun woke me up this morning. You know, like not the I'm I'm grateful for my family and my health and like the moon and the stars or whatever. Like really nitty gritty details. And like that's what he did, you know, on his blog and if you look it up, like there's some just amazing examples of, you know, his his daily practice and what he would write about and how he like his last one from <laughs> Finally pulling out an ingrown hair. <laughs> Unpacking the very last box. Wearing pajamas outside of normal pajama range. Oh, that's so relevant. My kids have pajama day at school today. So great. So he leaned into this. And I mean, gosh, you know, how many years later he's still doing this work and has turned it has turned it into his life's work. And so when I watched one of his videos today, I just want to um I saw him like work up this like sentence, right? About like great, like this is what we think, right? Great work will lead to success, which will lead to happiness. He's like, no, 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 no. 
That's what we've been taught. And it's backwards. So if you start out in happiness, and then it'll bring you to great work, then you will hit the success. So it's like the equation is all messed up. And you've got to put your mental state of happiness first. Things will come after that. I just want to throw that in at the end. Uh, I brought up Neil more to talk about his gratitude practice and how that changed his life. But that little like equation I saw at the end was like, oh, I want to mention that. My own gratitude practice, because I'm, you know, experiencing joy the last few years, I had also started a gratitude practice. And it wasn't until I like researched this stuff, I was like, oh, like until I heard Brene say, people who can really experience joy have leaned into gratitude and they're present in the moment and they're present in their lives. Oh, no wonder. No wonder I started to feel joy and started to feel overwhelmed by joy because I had also done gratitude practice. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about it because I did and then it dropped off. So back in 2016, I set a goal to do a gratitude practice every day for a year. Um, and I downloaded an app and I think I it was just a free version, but I think I have the pay version now. And it is called, hold on, gratitude. I thought so. I just wanted to double check. It was called gratitude app. And every day I log five things and like the small things you know yesterday I was grateful for boogie wipes was one of the things I wrote down I have running nose and I used off-brand tissues that were in my car and I got a red nose yesterday and then on our way home I stopped and got some boogie wipes and I'm not sure if you know what they are but they're lovely and they are like a wipe made specifically for your red nose and I was really grateful for those yesterday so that's the type of gratitude work we're talking about. Uh, I had last week, you know, something I was grateful for is I had a great gluten-free burger. And so the burger's obviously gluten-free, but it has the bun. I got to be grateful one day about um, having a fire in the fireplace because it's been, it was cold out here recently. I was grateful for a writing class I was taking. Uh, I was grateful for a haircut I got. Um, I was grateful for a visitor. Um, and so I add photos if there's a photo and if not, it's just a text. And so there's five things. And I, so I started doing this in 2016 and I did a full year and I stopped after the full year. I, I don't know why. I just think I was like, oh, I could do it for a year. And I did it for a year and I stopped and I started the project, not the project. I started that, you know, app up again last year when I started this project and knowing how, much my outlook changed by doing this daily practice, finding things in the world in my life to be grateful for, how much it was helpful in moving forward and being present, really. So it's just this common trick of like what this you know guy Neil did is when you spend the day looking for things to be grateful for or things that are awesome, guess what happens? you see the things that you've previously taken for granted, you know, and undoubtedly because of that, you feel more present. And, you know, when you see like, oh my goodness, like the clouds made this amazing formation on the sunset tonight. Oh shit, I get to put that on my list. Awesome. <laughs> there are days where it's hard to fill out the five, but now that I've done it for so long, those days are fewer than I thought they would be. Um, and even, but that's what's so good is that even in those days where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I, I, today was really fucking annoying and I could come up with five things that pissed me off and I can come up with maybe one thing that I'm grateful for and it's kind of cynical, you know, <laughs> but I still do it. 
And even if the entry is, I'm grateful for this gratitude practice, which is making me think about something delightful on this overwhelmingly shitty day. <laughs> you know, even if it's some, it's maybe those aren't the best days, but I still know I want to do it. And especially after, you know, listening to Brene and knowing that this gratitude practice is helping me experience joy. Um, you know, I want to take a moment to pause here. So this all sounds particularly privileged, right? We're used to so much in our country here, like air conditioning, multiple cars, uh, easy access to schooling, you know, I mean, just fresh produce in our grocery store, stores being open 24 hours, like not living in a war zone. I mean, there's so much. And, you know, it feels insanely privileged to be like, I need to remind myself of all the good things that are going on. But I think that that's why we have to do it because we need to appreciate all that we have. And I found 100% that doing this daily practice has made me more aware of of all these wonderful things. And, you know, being so privileged to live in this country that we do and not appreciating it is like compounded privilege. So at least if we're going to live in this world and have all these, you know, conveniences and amazing things, we've got to show up for and appreciate them. So I've, I found that's another benefit of doing, doing this practice. I just want to mention that because it keeps coming up when I think about it. I'm like, oh, this seems kind of, ugh, you know? Uh, another gratitude thing that happens in my life. I implemented a dinnertime ritual with my family. If you've visited my house as friends and family, you've participated in this go around. I have two questions for everybody that sits at my dinner table when we actually sit down to dinner. So the two questions are, um, what did you do well today? And what are you grateful for? And what the kids say is amazing. Because after I started that gratitude practice in my app, I was like, oh, I need to bring this to my children. And that was the little thing that I thought of to bring it to my children, to have them regularly practice gratitude. And I added the what did you do well today to instill confidence in them about even, you know, little things they do in preschool, you know, at the time or in, you know, their elementary school experience. Like, what did you do great in second grade today? Fucking tell me. Let's celebrate it. So I think that's about it that I'm going to talk about um, as far as like joy and gratitude. And I really think you should go watch the Brene Brown video. Didn't do her justice. <laughs> because she's a queen and go listen to her words um, about joy and gratitude. Um, and it'll make a lot of sense if this is, if foreboding joy is something that strikes you. If you have those moments when you think everything's going so good and when is the other shoe going to drop? And what is the price of pain? What is the price of joy? I mean, <laughs> and she, She'll help you unravel. You know, her experiences as being a researcher will help you understand where you can lean into joy in your life. And that's through gratitude. Okay, so this is the other branch of joy that gives me trouble. And this is only a recent discovery. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> to me, obviously. To everyone else. You might already know this. I was reminded of this branch of joy trouble 
Um, when I listened to one of my favorite podcasters say the sentence, and I'm going to read you the sentence. So one of my favorite podcasters, Karen Kilgariff, she said this, there's nothing scarier to me than potential happiness. You might as well come at me with a gun. Booyah. <laughs> For sure. 100%. I didn't realize that I had a problem with this. I totally have a problem with this. I don't think I deserve joy. I don't think I deserve happiness. So I'm still working through this one. Whereas like I didn't have the language to understand how gratitude had affected my experience of joy. I was doing it though, but I didn't realize what I was doing. So for years, I kind of had figured that one out about gratitude and joy. This one is new to me. So maybe it's new to you. And we're going to talk about it together. <laughs> okay. So fear of failure is a common phenomenon. Everybody is talking about it. And we've all learned that it's not the failure that we fear. It's that other people, you know, seeing us fail. And it's not failure, it's fear that's the problem. You know, the failure is just such a wonderful part of life when you have, have come to accept it. But it's this fear of it, right? Okay, so we got that kind of like understood. We're all kind of hip to this, you know, idea. But the converse of that is fear of success. And I haven't done enough thought and deep dive into, you know, where it comes from other than they're both fear-based. So of course they are executed, you know, in our minds and our hearts pretty similarly when it's both fear-based because it has nothing actually to do with success or the failure. It has to do with the fear of both. And I have recently come to accept that part of my inability to process joy is somewhere deep in my little brain here. I think that I, do, I don't think I deserve it. We hear a lot about people not feeling worthy of love, you know, but this one is a little less discussed. You know, who else out there thinks that they don't deserve to be happy? Raise your hands. I think it relates to a lot of the comments that I read previously, you know, that there's some sort of payment, you know, of pain and joy. Like it, if you experience joy, you're going to have to pay for it with some pain. So best not experience joy. Or if you've experienced joy or happiness, you better watch out because that other shoe is going to drop. Um, but there's, there's not a checking account that debits and credits each, you know, account, your joy pain accounts. You know, it, it just is. It's just being human. It's just living in the world. If I had to pick one of the lanes, like if you were raised in an attitude of positivity, success, achievement, and joyfulness, and spirited and uplifting, or were you raised more in a fear, isolated, disconnected, you know, get a job, stick with a job for 30 years, stay in your lane, just it would be the latter. <laughs> I mean, I know those are two extremes and, and there's more gray. It's not just black and white. But if if I could refer back to Brene, like I, I was not raised in a place that has a tolerance for vulnerability. And this is the work that I'm actively doing right now is realizing my worth in all aspects of my life. And right now what's come up is this joy thing where somewhere deep in my little noodle up here do I feel like I don't deserve happiness and joy? This is an active practice that I'm working to, you know, excavate right now. 
Is this something that you're working on too? Is this news to you? Like, are you resonating with this? I know it can be overcome. And so I'm excited to do this work to figure out where the mental block is. Because it's like, I can see the results. I can see how hard it is for me to process joy and how much emotion it brings up and how quickly, you know, I can be overwhelmed by joy. And uh, Brene also says that in her little video that 100% undoubtedly the hardest emotion for humans to process is joy. She says that in that little video. And I have absolutely ascribed that experience to my life. So this is what I got. Joy, we got, it's different than happiness. It's a journey. We have what that means to me, um, how I'd like to be on the journey, not the destination. I told you about how I cry at every damn thing. That should be joyful. They're not sad moments, but I'm overwhelmed with joyful emotions and they come spilling out of my eyeballs. This happens to other people. Um, Y'all responded and told me, yep, same thing. Marching bands, real trigger. (laughs) Marching bands, you have no idea the joy you are causing and the tears because of it. (laughs) And then, you know, we have our, our queen, Brene Brown, bringing it home, telling us about how we're dress rehearsing tragedy, you know, when we experience moments of joy and how we're going to push back against that. We're going to stay present and be grateful that we're here and that we're experiencing that joy. And then we're going to go a step further and unearth why we, we don't think we deserve joy. Folks, I don't got much else to tell you about the deserving of joy. Like I said, it's something new for me, but I wanted to bring it up because I won't, you know, want to have like a, a picture of what's going on with joy with me lately and why I cry (laughs) at all of the things. And I hope that this helped you a little bit and maybe give you some topics to think about. Maybe you're going to Google foreboding joy and be like, oh shit, I do that too. And maybe you'll join my Kleenex club. Hashtag Kleenex club. I'm going to start following that. Seriously. I don't know. Reach out. Let me know. What does joy bring up for you? Do you have a hard time experiencing it? Are you are you down with this? Like you're like here for it. I think if you are, teach us. <laughs> Show us the way. All right, y'all. Don't forget to find me on social media and stay prickly and blooming. I'll talk to y'all next week and we'll have somebody else with me again. All right. Everything up to this point has led me here And there's nowhere I'd rather be Than to be here All the things that made no sense Have felt so wrong and out of place now
choices made Cards left on tables and cards played And no one knows How will it go? Questions burning in the mind Answers may not be there to find Picture 